my friends out there. Welcome once again to the everyday, and I mean everyday, we should be everyday missionaries, and hence it's the Everyday Missionary Podcast. This is episode 290, and it is the week after the Super Bowl, and here's the deal about the Super Bowl. I want to say this, like, I love football. I watch other teams. I watch my team. I dig the game. I try to really, like, watch, analyze, understand, get better at understanding what I'm seeing, how to kind of read the field and just understand the different dynamics. I love that stuff, right? But here's the thing about the Super Bowl that does kind of bug me a little bit. And that is at the end, a team wins. They lift the Vince Lombardi trophy and they are declared the world champions. And I'm like, the world champions of a sport that's pretty much indigenous to one nation of the world. That is weird, right? I mean, like, honestly, like, okay, I look at, like, my World Cup friends. They look at that and they go, you know what? If you make it all the way through the World Cup and you win, you are, in fact, the world champion because you took on multiple countries, right? It is truly a world champion event. The Super Bowl, it's like, not even every state can be a part of this, right? Like, it's it's housed to the United States only, and then of that, there's a whole slew of states that will never, ever, ever be a part of trying to put forth a world champion that's indigenous just to the 50 states that we all share together, right? I mean, like, Maine's never going to have a team, and Montana's never going to have a team, and Rhode Island's never going to have a team, and New Mexico probably is never going to have a team. And here's the problem. There are other states that are gluttonous with pro teams. That's the problem. California, you've got three, three professional football teams. But like Vermont's got nothing like give Vermont like the Chargers, at least they're kind of almost aimless right now. Give Vermont the Chargers. That's what I'm thinking. Same with New York. You got too many teams, man. Cough something up. Texas cough something up. It's like when you've got multiple teams in your state, you're just hoarding now. That's just not right. So anyway, world champs, eh, let's call it partial United States champs. And that would be a better way to do it. Nonetheless, had a fun time watching the Super Bowl. But of course, the big thing with the Super Bowl is not just the game, but it's all also, all of the commercials that everybody likes to talk about and kind of laugh at and everything else. I was over at my friends, the Massacini's house for the game. We had a great time all the way around. Great hosts. Had a blast with them. Um, but, you know, we were like enjoying like the Dunkin' Donuts one. We really liked the T-Mobile one. There was some good stuff. But then there was the commercial, the provocative, just churning up the internet this week commercial of He Gets Us, right? The notion that Jesus gets us. And there was a couple of different commercials they had in relationship to that. One was really brilliant in its own right, which was all about, hey man, like sharing a table with different people. I think that's epic because Jesus was a master of that. Uh, I think we would do well to do that too. You know, like a good example for me is over the weekend, I went to the shooting range with a handful of lesbians and had a great time, like shooting guns and talking to them and hearing their stories and everything else. And it's like, even though it's not a table, it's a range we were sharing. Uh, we eventually went from the range to a table and hung out and just, again, it was great to just have face-to-face interaction with people that come from a different sphere of life than yourself, you know? And so uh, that was awesome. But I And I love that commercial kind of for that reason. Uh, but then the other commercial, this was the one that ended up getting a lot more kind of press, a lot more air being expended in podcasts and Christian media and Christian interwebby things over the last few days. But it was the one where it was showing all these depictions of people washing other people's feet. And then it ends and it says, Jesus didn't teach or promote hate. He promoted love and he gets us, right? 
And just that has kind of like weirdly divided followers of Jesus. And there is kind of the camp that uh, is, well, there's multiple camps. One is saying, ah, we got to spend the money on the poor. Totally get it. Not going to maybe get into that too much today. I understand the sentiment of that. Maybe I'll talk about it a little bit, but there's that one. The other camp was like, wow, that was really amazing and beautiful and thought provoking. And I love that. And then others were like, that was thoroughly unbiblical. That doesn't represent Jesus. That's just going to damn people to hell because the whole purpose of that is just to be soft on sin, not expect people to change. And that is a road leading to total uh, eternal conscious torment because you are soft on people's offenses toward God. Right. So there's like this like big divide. Right. So I'm going to go back for a second on this, and maybe I think there's a couple of things that I think are worth noting on this. Uh, first, I want to deal with, is is the message, quote, biblical? And I say, quote, biblical, air quotes are very much in play here because I, th- I think that's a really loaded idea um, because part of that is in the eye of the beholder, honestly. You know, it's like when the Catholics say the Protestants aren't biblical or the Protestants say the Catholics aren't biblical or both say the Eastern Orthodox isn't biblical, I guarantee you they all have a bunch of verses for why they believe what they believe. And so part of this is kind of the angle of biblical plays a lot of that and that's just a different conversation, different day. One of these days, I'll probably do a message on why I really think that is a rotten word um, because it doesn't capture really what we're trying to get at. But aside from that, let me use it for a minute and say, here's the thing. Um, Jesus, his message was really clear to his followers. Uh, Sermon on the Mount, he says, uh, you know, you used to be able to hate your enemies. Like, remember when we were told that, like, even like in Deuteronomy, we're going through Deuteronomy. I did one of the toughest messages last week. If you didn't catch that, catch that. Uh, because the message there was go hate your enemies and slaughter them all, right? So you were literally, you, you, the command was hate your enemies and kill every one of them in a village, right? Like that was there. Uh, but then Jesus says, hey, you heard it was said, hate your enemies. But now I tell you to love your enemies. And then he unpacks it. He says, bless, do good, pray for. He's covering all the bases. This is what you do with your your enemies. You don't hate them. You love them. And then certainly to your brother, certainly to your neighbor, he says to love them as well. So did Jesus say love or hate? He said love. So yes, I agree with the commercial that says Jesus promoted love. Jesus taught us to love, not hate. That's the first thing. Second thing in the commercial, there's all these depictions of people washing others people's washing other people's feet, which is about uh, kind of humbling yourself, getting down on your knees, and you're doing this servant oriented thing toward another. It's a symbolic concept, right? And I look at that and I go, well, that's funny because Jesus actually said, you want to be great in the kingdom, you must be least. You want to really get ahead, then you must be the one that's at the very back and you must be the servant of all. So the other layer of this is that Jesus says, if you're really one of my kids and you're doing my thing and you're wanting to kind of represent this new thing that I'm doing in the world, then you're going to serve everybody around you. So A, you're going to love, you're not going to hate. B, you're going to serve, you're not going to want to be served because those are my priorities, right? And so I look at those two things and I go, yeah, then Jesus did all that stuff. And then told us to do what he did, right? And so in that sense, he gets us, he models for us so we can go do in his name the same way. So if I just take that bit right there, it is profoundly solid when it comes to some of the most central messaging that Jesus gave his followers, right? It's just super, super clear. There's no question there, right? Now I'm going to go a level deeper. Uh, The commercial, because part of the problem here is a commercial has all of 30 to 60 seconds 
audience to try to tell that singular story. So you're going to leverage a lot of things, right, to try to do that simultaneously. And so if you pay attention to the different frames in the story, and if you haven't seen the commercial, I, or I encourage you to go on YouTube and check it out. But in one scene, it is a cowboy washing the feet of an indigenous person. In another scene, it is a police officer washing the feet of what appears to be a gang member. In another scene, it is a, a, a white and a black man sitting on a porch, and the setting is clearly going to be someplace in the deep south, like Louisiana or Mississippi or something of that nature. So you see that one there. And then the last frame in the commercial is showing a priest kind of down on his knees washing the feet of a person in the lgbtq plus community and then the message there is like hey where this really comes into play is kind of what jesus said it's easy to love your friends it's easy to love people like you it's easy to associate with your tribe but i'm not asking you to do that i'm asking you to go get into uncomfortable spaces to go get into places that are messy and bring this peacemaking element this peace creating peace generating thing to friction and frustration and division and divide. I'm asking you to do that in a way that that can be really poignantly displayed in a microsecond is washing feet. Now, one of the critiques of this from Christians, aside from this notion that it's condoning sin, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute because I, I, I'm like, you got to read your Bible more. You just got to read your Bible more because certain things come before other things in this process of people entering into relationship with Jesus, right? Uh, like, I don't know, maybe you have to be first loved by him to realize he loves you. And then from that, you move into a relationship with him where you confess your sin, you follow him, that kind of thing. In other words, you're touched by somebody that serves in Jesus's name. And then you go, wow, that is something. Who's this Jesus? I want to know. And then eventually he saves but first, there must be contact, and that contact must be a kind of contact that isn't threatening, but is generous and gracious and kind and authentic, and it's ambassadors in Jesus' name going to serve others so that they are compelled to believe in this Jesus. So kind of the process of A to B to C, you know, that 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 has to kind of be in this thing. Like, you know, and I, and I think that's what this commercial is trying to get at a little bit, right? I think it's trying to, let me back up. I'm getting ahead of myself. So, uh, one of the critiques, aside from the whole, it's not biblical, it doesn't fit my Calvinist reformed Arminian or whatever thing, you know, like whatever the thing each person has. One of the critiques was, well, non-Christians aren't going to get this at all, right? Like washing feet, nobody washes feet. This is a silly thing. Uh, why would you choose that image to be the thing depicted in the commercial? Like who's your target audience? Here's what I actually believe. I actually believe the target audience wasn't lost people. I think the target audience was Christian people. I actually do, all right? In fact, in both commercials, I think the target audience is Christians. And I think that is by the design of the organization that's done this. And here's what I really suspect behind this. I think they're looking at the current landscape, in particular, my evangelical camp, and they're going, we do not look like Jesus. We need to be reminded that he wouldn't hate groups. He would love groups. He wouldn't ostracize these individuals. He would befriend them. He would go have dinner with them. He would go to the shooting range with people like that. He would go into different spaces and enter in humbly as a genuine friend invested into their life, not there to judge them, rather they're simply to love them, right? Like that's where the starting line always is. I think sometimes 
we all forget where we came from, right? I, I, and I, I think then in that, we start to you know almost think like, oh, then you're watering down if you do it that way when it's like, like that's the only way you're going to reach people that are already kind of going, you Christians do seem to be kind of mean sometimes. And you Christians do not seem to really love people that you disagree with. And sometimes you Christians are really using a lot of hurtful or hateful speech, uh, whether it be in social media or your primary voices out there or whatever it is. And, and I think this commercial was saying, hey, fellow Christians, we've we've gotten off track. Hey, fellow Christians, don't you remember who we follow and what he taught us to say? See, I, I really think that's the motive. So I agree. Probably a lot of disbelieving people wouldn't go, oh, yeah, I know what foot washing is all about, though. I actually think a lot more do than we think. I, I think there's still enough Christian stuff baked into American culture that I think the majority of people go, oh, foot washing and Jesus. Yeah, we know that that was something he did somehow and it was about service, right? They wouldn't understand all the other implications, but they would get that part. But again, I think it was a message to us to say, hey, we're not doing maybe the best job at the macro level. I want to be clear. I think many of us at the micro level are probably doing really wonderful things, right? We're really trying to implement that kind of stuff. There's this weird breakdown between what I think is happening boots on the ground and then what happens with our very well-known leaders uh, and how, A, they don't really represent, I think, the tone that's more boots on the ground. But in another way, we are elevating these kinds of leaders. We're rewarding these kinds of leaders. We're paying these kinds of leaders. We're backing these kinds of leaders who then make it necessary to have a commercial that gives the most basic Christian job in the world from the lips of Jesus. Serve, love, care, right? Like that's it. Serve, love and care, you know, and do this to people that make you uncomfortable as much as people that make you comfortable. Do this to people you don't agree with as much as you do it with people you do agree with, right? Like lean over the plate, take one for the team maybe because, hey, that's what we're called to do. We're supposed to be the least of all. So where where, where should we exercise that? Well, we should find people that we actually see are messier than us, more sinful than us, uh, off the beaten path, whatever it is that we might even assess and I think sometimes in our pride, but maybe should we go find those people and then we go serve them. Then we go love them. Then we go become their friends and spend time with them. See, this is one of the most interesting things for me when I think about the ministry of Jesus because he gets criticized by religion all the time because he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And it's interesting to me that it doesn't say he's a friend of former tax collectors and sinners. That's still their brand. That's still their label. That's still their space. That's still their burden. And he's really their friends. So much so that he's having dinner with them. And I'm sure the dinner wasn't serious and somber. And he's like, okay, listen, you need to know you're all sinners. And I'm only here because you're all sinners. Now, I think there was probably a lot of laughter. I think there was probably some funny jokes. I think there was probably some really beautiful stories. I bet there was a lot of questions. And I bet there was a lot of authenticity of Jesus leaning into people saying, I care for you in your space. You're legitimately somebody that is important to me. See, when I take that commercial and I just crush it down into the ball that I think it is, I think it's getting back to that. And I think it was meant for us. And I think it's a good reminder of what the world really needs to see. I really do. Right. Because, again, I don't think our polling numbers are great. If you then showed that commercial and then asked people 
do you think that's the average evangelical Christian? I think it would be kind of split. I think there would be some yes, and I think there'd be some no. If they said, do you think that is the the essence of the evangelical movement in America? Then I think they'd say that does not represent the evangelical movement, right? So there's a difference probably between movement and then again, the grassroots stuff. But here's the deal. It's incumbent on us then to change the narrative of that national stereotypical thing because that is the way that it's seen. It is the way that it's seen. And some of this comes back to we tend to back certain things, even at times politically, that look really very counter to this idea of loving your enemies and doing good to people and speaking kindly and all of that. Like some of that is like almost inverted, like there's just barbness and anger and negativity and vilifying a lot of different groups and people. And I go, this is part of the thing that's just happening kind of at the national level and our spokespeople and our political people that we seem to support and everything else. But we need to change that narrative. I think there is beautiful things happening in our towns and in our churches and in our cities where Christians are seeking to be like Jesus in the space that they inhabit. And we need to figure out how to do even that better, right? And then in that, to say of our national leaders and voices, um, we're not going to put up with you misrepresenting who Jesus really is. We're not going to put up with you feeling this need to be constantly divisive and to basically vilify segments of society so much so that why would they ever want Jesus? Because their understanding is not Jesus gets us, but Jesus hates us because you hate us because you represent him. And that's a big problem. I think that's the big problem. This is where even in my social media stuff, when I kind of put this out there, uh, my phrase was, I think he gets us, but I'm not sure we always get him. And I think part of that is uh, we we probably root a lot of our Christianity and in our intellectualism, a lot of our Christianity and our systematic theology. And I find that maybe the danger sometimes with that is we can almost let systematic theology override the most kindergarten level stuff that Jesus tells us to do. Because we go, wow, that might send the wrong message. That might make it look like we're too, again, soft on sin or we're turning a blind eye or we're just tolerating lukewarmness or whatever else. And 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 I think that's exactly what Jesus was getting accused of by leaders. Like, you're not hard enough on sin. Why are you putting up with this? Why don't you stone her with rocks? Why did you touch that person? Why did you let her rub your feet? Like, like they were hypercritical of the exact same thing that I think is happening now. And this commercial just highlights that, right? It just highlights again that there is something about our systematized way of seeing religion that will that will almost um, condone us uh, when it comes to then overriding Jesus's most obvious like literally like kindergartners get this stuff I don't know why we as adults can't you know like a kindergartner goes I just know I'm supposed to hold the hands of the kid next to me and we're all supposed to cross the street together and we're trying to get to the other side safely and I'm gonna be nice to you and you be nice to me and I'm gonna share my apple slices and like like kindergartners get it And I think Jesus spoke in kindergartner ways, and we're still probably trying to figure out how to get it. So he gets us. Not always sure we get him, but the way we get him is to get into those uncomfortable spaces. The way we get him is to make these investments. The way we get him is to get into the spaces that he would get into, to love the kinds of people that he would love, to be so influential, so transformational, so just compelling that they go, man, again, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I'm needing, right? See, I think one of the things I've realized over the years is I think even in that systematic theology stuff, we go, if people are hostile to Christians and hostile to the gospel, we assume it's just because they're hostile to God. 
And I continue to find more and more that it's not people are hostile to God. They're hostile to Christians' representations of Jesus because some of those representations have been pretty harsh or pretty critical, pretty judgmental, um, pretty rude, or pretty cold. And so the best barometer they have on how legitimate this whole thing is, is the people that claim to be the guardians and gatekeepers of that. And, and if our display of that is not... Um, as Andy Stanley likes to say, drawing circles, but rather it's drawing lines, um, then that's just going to perpetuate. And then we're going to make ourselves feel good. Ah, They just hate God. They just hate the gospel. They just hate uh, the truth. And I'm like, if we were just nailing this thing, then maybe I'd be more apt to go, yeah. And I'm not saying that that isn't true for some people. They just, sure, they're going to hate God, hate the truth, whatever else. But I keep talking to people that are outside, but boy, they crave stuff. They crave stuff. But you know what their understanding is? You don't want us. You don't like us. You wouldn't welcome us. You you certainly are, are, aren't going to treat us in the way that maybe we see Jesus treating people because your messaging is clear in other ways, right? We, we, we just don't fit. And that's maybe the tragic part. That's the real tragic part, right? Like, like I, I think um, as I keep reflecting on what Jesus did and I keep thinking about the kinds of people we are to be in the kinds of communities of faith that we are to be um i i I think in terms of wouldn't it be epic wouldn't it just be super super epic if we were just known as healing spaces we were known as grace spaces we were known as uh you know like that we're we're gonna out love any definitions of love you've ever experienced before like we're gonna be patient and kind the fruit of the spirit isn't just a thing to memorize it's a way of life a a a space to inhabit a thing to do toward the people around me i think if that was happening more i think you would see radical revival the problem is it does grind the gears of religion sometimes that's always going to be the trick it grinds the gears of religion and part of it is because it makes us uncomfortable and we don't want to be uncomfortable we tend to like kind of building our walls to have our comfort and it's like this walled garden of security but i think jesus called us to something that is really insecure kind of radical dangerous even he actually called it laying down your life right you want to follow me lay down your life right and maybe that's the thing i want to close with today Uh, My wife was sharing with me a quote today, this morning when she came home from uh, the hospital on shift. And she goes, yeah, I'm I'm listening to this book. And he had this really good point. He goes, Jesus never said, worship me. He said, follow me. Now, I want to be clear with that. That doesn't mean that Jesus isn't to be worshiped. But it is interesting in the entire span of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he never told anybody, hey, worship me. But he did say, hey, come and follow me. And here's the difference. I think sometimes in the worshiping of Jesus, what it means is us four lock the door, put ourselves in our community of faith and spaces, and we can sing our songs and read our Bibles and have our, you know, like potlucks and small groups and all those kinds of things, which is awesome. I don't not, I'm not taken away from that at all. I'm not trying to bash that at all. I go, that's really, really awesome. Uh, worshiping is beautiful and I love worship and we are meant to worship Jesus and God But what Jesus told us is follow me. And what he meant by that is, hey, man, pick up a shovel. Hey, man, slap on your sandals. Hey, man, we got to get to work. Roll up your sleeves. We have things to do. And then what did he tell us to do? Man, start loving people. Start doing good to people. Start doing things in such a way that people see our good works and they glorify our Father in heaven, he says in the Sermon on the Mount. So that's our jam. That's our jam, right? 
So being a Christian isn't being a worshiper, but being a follower. And the more we follow is the more we're displaying our worship. Now, again, I know some people are going to misquote me and go like, so Matt says we shouldn't worship. Nope, nope, nope. Matt is saying, yes, worship. But Matt is making the point that perhaps the way we most worship is that we follow. And the way we most follow follow isn't just my own personal morality, but it's what Jesus told me to do toward others, particularly the people that I may not see eye to eye with, where it might be like a police officer washing a gang member's feet. It might be a cowboy washing an indigenous person's feet. It might be a a black man and a white man sitting on a porch together in the deep South. And it might be a priest washing the feet of an LGBTQ plus person. Whatever it is, it's saying, hey, I'm going to find my other and I'm going to love them and serve them because Jesus did not come to teach hate. He did, in fact, come to teach love. And the more I do love, not just say I love, that's easy, but I do love, well, then the more we're going to be effective everyday missionaries.